Hello, and welcome to episode 38 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to argue ethics coherently on the internet. This week, we have an exciting announcement right at the top of the show. Then, we discuss a few games we've played recently, like Spirit Island, My Very First Game's Orchard, and Seventh Continent. Then, we talk about the ethics relating to making board game media. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word adventure. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. So as I alluded to in our intro, we have a very cool announcement that we are super excited about. Board Game Blitz is now officially sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Yay! We are super excited about it, and we will talk more about what that means for us in our thematic segment here in a little bit. But needless to say, we think it is going to be a really, really cool partnership for us. I personally like a bunch of their games already, (laughs) so it was kind of easy decision to make. But yeah, we'll talk about that more in the thematic segment. So Mm -hmm. uh, welcome Gray Fox Games to the Blitz family officially. Also, this is your reminder that the Fantasy Board Game League is still going on, and I have been losing each week based on the votes from the people who go and vote on at the website. So that's been kind of a bummer. Um, maybe by the time this episode airs, I will have won by then. But thus far, the first couple of weeks, I lost because the votes weren't there. So... All you have to do, go to draftmechanic.net slash FBGL, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes, and uh, vote on all of the team, the matchups for the week, and every single week that you vote, you'll be entered to win a $100 gift certificate to an online game store, and you can help me win my matchup. My team is Dicey Picks, so when you go and vote, vote for Dicey Picks, please, 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 I would greatly appreciate it. Also, last year we had BlitzCon, which is a convention in the Bay Area in California. And this year we're going to have it again in February uh, 16th through 19th, I think. President's Day weekend. Yeah, President's Day weekend, yeah. Yeah, so tickets are on sale now. If you go to our website, uh, boardgameblitz.com slash con, C-O-N, it has a page with information. But yeah, if you want to come, Crystal will be there. I'll be there. Cassidy can't come. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you can come if you can come she got buy tickets it'll be really fun it will be really fun and you'll get to play it's basically an almost guarantee that you'd get to play games with ambi and or myself because mm-hmm. it's a small con so it's easier yeah. to do that than at a larger con I just got to play Spirit Island which is a 2017 game published by Greater Than Games and designed by R. Eric Ruse. Uh, Spirit Island is a cooperative game for one to four players. It says 90 to 120 minutes on BGG, but we actually didn't finish our game, so I'm not sure how long it takes. But in Spirit Island, the theme is your spirits on an island, <laughs> defending it and the inhabitants who are called the Dahan, and you're defending it from invaders. So each player gets to play a different spirit with different powers. You get a hand of cards that you can spend energy to play each turn, but there's also a map on the board where you need to place your tokens to be able to affect the different areas, since you can only affect close to where your tokens are. I was the river spirit, so like one of my cards could flood lands to damage the invaders, and another could move around the Dahan and repopulate them because they had a bountiful harvest with my river powers. <laughs> so the cards have slow or fast actions, 
And the way each turn works is everyone does their fast actions, then the invaders have their turn, and then everyone does their slow actions. So for the invaders' turn, they do three things, explore, build, and ravage. Exploring makes new invaders appear, and in building, they build towns and cities, and then they attack the inhabitants and the land during the ravage. The way that works is there's cards telling you where the invaders do their actions, and the cards start in the explore part and move over each turn. So the invaders explore lands, then the next turn they build in those lands while exploring a new land, and then they ravage in those same lands the next turn. So you can plan ahead to protect against the ravaging and buildings as you see it coming. Uh, even though we didn't get to finish our game, I had a lot of fun. My spirit, the river spirit, had a lot of controlling abilities, so I could move around the bad guys and the good guys, and then other spirits had more damaging attacks, and they could just like wipe out the invaders in one spot. And it was really neat using the different spirit powers and coordinating together. And there's also a lot of ramp up in your spirit powers, since each turn you also get a growth action that gives you more stuff. So at the beginning, we're, we're not able to do that much, but then at the end, we were like doing a lot of damage to the invaders. We only played the easy game, but there's different difficulties and I think there's different modes. And the base game comes with eight different spirits with different thematic powers. Like one of the spirits is an ocean spirit and you can move the invaders into the ocean and drown them. <laughs> so I, I thought it was cool. If you like heavier co-op games and variable player powers, you should definitely check it out. The only downside I saw so far is that it could suffer from analysis paralysis since each turn you pretty much have to plan your entire turn out at the beginning because you pick all the cards you're going to play then. But I really enjoyed it. It required a good amount of planning, had a cool theme with cool powers, and it rewarded working together with everyone. So that was Spirit Island. That sounds really neat. I've heard good <laughs> things about that one. I would like to check it out at some point for sure. Yeah. I recently have been playing a lot of, well, not a lot, a handful of board games with my tiny child beast uh she's not quite old enough really to understand rules or anything other than hey look that's shiny but i've introduced her to haba's first orchard which is part of their my very first games a series of games which are for ages two and up she's a year and a half so again not quite there and i'm probably <laughs> rushing it but and First Orchard was released in 2009 and actually plays one to four players. So she could actually, once she's familiar with the rules, play it on her own because it is a cooperative game. In First Orchard, you have four different types of fruit and you roll the die and whatever color it lands on, you have to put that fruit in the basket. The die has a basket symbol on it also, which is random, so you can put any fruit in the basket, and there's a crow on one of the sides. If the crow reaches the top of his road that he's walking across, then everybody loses, so you don't really want to get the, the crow, um, which is why it's cooperative, because you're, you're basically racing the clock slash die to victory. But it's a, it's a great way for kids to learn colors and learn some of their fruits, and it's really a lot of fun. Well, and for as simple as it sounds, it sounds like there is actually a, at least a tiny bit of strategy there in that, like, when you roll that basket symbol, picking which fruit to choose, like, that can act, like, because mm -hmm. you, you want to make sure everything else is kind of evenly distributed, I would yeah. imagine. So yeah. that's cool that in a game that simple, there's still a little bit of strategy. 
Yeah. Plus the pieces are nice and big and chunky and the dice, the die is actually like a little larger too. And I'm trying to teach her how to roll. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. I want to see video of her rolling a die. That sounds adorable. She kind of just like throws it across the room. <laughs> like it's not quite, it's not quite right. <laughs> She'll get there. We, we gave my first... Her first orchard to my niece last year. Uh, she was two, I think a little over two, and they call it the crow game because whenever <laughs> she rolls a crow, she just grabs it and like runs away. <laughs> so, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's, her that's a whole other game condition. she's got going on there. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I recently have been playing the game that you're probably hearing about on a whole bunch of podcasts and websites right now, The Seventh Continent which was published by Sirius Pulp and designed by Ludovic Rowdy and Bruno Sauter. Um, it's for one to four players. And in The Seventh Continent, you are venture- you're a group of people venturing back to The Seventh Continent to try and lift a curse that struck you after a previous expedition there. So you've been there before, but you don't really remember a lot about it, I guess. The game system is entirely card-based. The map is made up of numbered cards that you discover as you explore, and each player has a hand of cards, and you can also craft items to put in front of you. And rather than having life points, like in most games of this style, your energy is made up of a shared action deck. Every time you try to do anything in the game, whether that's crafting an item, or exploring a place, or trying to do a task, um, you have to draw cards from your action deck. And then for some tasks, you also need specific numbers of successes, which are displayed by different symbols, stars and sevens, on those cards that you drew. This game is unlike anything I've ever played. It's very unique and very well designed and developed. It was originally on Kickstarter in 2015 and was actually supposed to deliver to backers a year ago and just came out at the end of the summer. So it was about a year late, but I can kind of see why because there's a lot to it. I think there's in the base box, there's 600 cards, I believe. I could actually have that number wrong, but it's, oh no, it's closer to 700, I think. A second printing of the game is currently on Kickstarter, and I wanted to be able to provide some advice to those who are looking at it and considering backing it. I don't know if my advice is going to be helpful, but the first piece is I think that this is a game that probably shines best either solo or with two players. Uh, I have been playing it with four players so far, and... You have smaller hand size limits and uh, limits to the items that you can craft in front of you. And it's kind of like taking four people and trying to read a choose your own adventure book. <laughs> like even my group, we've played a ton of campaign games together. We get along really well in general. And we've been struggling with a lot of the decisions in the game because there's four of us. So basically, I don't I don't know if I would recommend this game or not. It's something that's definitely magical and different and very cool. And I'm enjoying it. And we've we've played over the course of three different evenings, um, a total of 11 hours. But we haven't even finished the first curse. The first curse can take up to 20 hours. All the other curses are supposedly much shorter, like in the three-hour vicinity. But we haven't even gotten to experience all the mechanisms of the game at 11 hours in. Um, and we don't know how to cure the, f- the first curse yet. So we've either done something horribly wrong or we just aren't there yet. So I'm enjoying the experience, but it's also frustrating at times. My, basically, if you have disposable income and you really love exploration games, I think that this is one that you should definitely at least take a look at. 
If you're a solo gamer, I also think that this is probably worth a look. Beyond that, it's hard for me to give a hard recommendation to it or a solid recommendation to it because it is... I, I don't think I've fully experienced it at this point, even 11 hours in. I enjoy it a lot, even with the frustrations. So take that for whatever it means, and I hope that that was at least mildly helpful if you've been <laughs> considering it. But that is The Seventh Continent. It kind of, yeah, it kind of says a lot that you can be so far in and still have not experienced everything. It's almost video game-like at that point. Honestly, that's actually a yeah. good comparison. I think, um, and Jake from Draft Mechanic actually mentioned that, I believe, in their discussion of it a few weeks ago. They said it's kind of like Breath of the Wild in a way, because you can kind of just wander aimlessly. Like, you have a specific goal that you eventually need to complete. But... You just wander around and make some food. Yeah. You do <laughs> I just had a lot of Breath of the Wild. Yeah. <laughs> just wander um, around. Oh, hey, there's a fire. Let's make some food. This is, it was an ambitious game for sure. And I do think that they succeeded in what they set out to do. Considering how intricate the system is, it's very well developed. Like, we haven't found anything thus far that is broken, which in a game of this style, I think is definitely something to be praised. So as I mentioned uh, toward the top of the show, we wanted to get a little bit deeper into what us being a sponsored show means, as well as have a discussion about kind of ethics in board game content creation in general. We know that there has been a lot of talk online lately about ethics and paid content and other things of that nature, and we aren't going to necessarily comment specifically on any of the other situations that have been going on with other shows or videos or anything like that. But we wanted to make sure that you, our listeners, know what our thoughts are on the subject and how we plan to handle being a sponsored show going forward, because uh, we did not take on sponsorship lightly. We had considered other sponsorship opportunities in the past and chose to uh, not run with those because we wanted to make sure that we had our feet solidly underneath us first and foremost. And we wanted to make sure that any sponsorship that we decided to take on was a good fit for us. And if it if something didn't feel like a perfect fit, then we would not go with it. And Gray Fox Games felt like a good fit. And they also were very upfront with us um, in our communications about what they expected from us. And those expectations were right in line with what we wanted in that basically they would, we don't have to talk about or review their games favorably in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. We don't have to talk about or review their games at all. Technically. Like, yeah. that's, that's not <laughs> part of our sponsorship. We can if we want to, but. Yeah. Which honestly, <laughs> Like for me personally, especially, I probably will. I've discussed, uh, we've, we were, we've, uh, both Ambie and I have talked about Deception, Murder, and yeah. Hong Kong before. I've spoken about Order of the Gilded Compass, which I love. Uh, I don't know how much I've talked about Champions of Midgard. I got to play it for the first time at Dice Tower Con, and I don't own it yet, but maybe I will soon. <laughs> I should probably try and acquire it because I like it so much. And yeah, they have another game coming out at Essen called Harvest Dice, and it's a roll and write game, and I like roll and write games. So if we just note that if we talk about one of their games, we're going to talk about it 
with our real opinions. Like if I play Harvest Dice and I don't enjoy it, you're going to hear that from me. And they that's fine. Mm-hmm. So on that topic, what do you think about reviewers and previewers getting free copies of games? And like, do you think they should disclose that they got a free copy always? Or is it situational? I feel like it would be situational. If I got a free copy of a game that I was intending to purchase myself anyway, I'd probably like mention that it was free. But I would pro- I would also be like, well, I was going to buy it anyway, so it's still totally worth your dollars. And I don't know. I would I would agree with Cassidy. I think it can be situational. But, but I think there are instances where it is important to disclose that information. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, because transparency is often a good thing. And I think getting a game for free can potentially shade your opinions of it in different ways. Not necessarily that you'll like playing the game more, but it could skew your view of the value of the game because it's that whole, um, it's the Kickstarter effect. I don't even know if that's the right term, but like people talk about how when people back a game on Kickstarter and then it comes, they tend to like it more because they're invested in it. Like they, you know, they put their money up front for this thing and they want to like it because they did spend the money on it kind of somewhat sight unseen in some instances. <laughs> and so, and I think that's actually happened to me in the past with Kickstarter games. Like I've potentially liked them a little bit more than I would have because I was so excited and invested in it to begin with. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, in our one of our recent episodes, I talked about Bonk and I got that. Um, that's like, I think that's the, actually the first game that I've gotten for free ever. (laughs) (laughs) So that was kind of exciting. But I did mention in that episode that it cost $60 MSRP. And that's a lot of money for a light game. So it's kind of it was, you know, and I said, I don't if it was on sale, I think it would be something good worth acquiring. But $60 is a lot for most people, including myself. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if I would have purchased it, even though I enjoy playing it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it doesn't hurt to say that you got something for free. And then I don't even know, like, what you were saying about the Kickstarter effect. Maybe getting a game for free makes you less biased to like it. I'm not really sure. Oh, that's a good point. Like, because you, you don't have any, you're not invested in it. Yeah. Right. But, like, the the first rev- or the first game I got for free was Hasbro Connect, but that was for a real, rules video. And I think I mentioned it on the podcast, too, but it wasn't my type of game. <laughs> but I don't know if if I had bought it, would I have wanted to like it more and maybe liked it more? I don't know. It's so hard to know because <laughs> you can't ever have <laughs> yeah, two situations happen at the same time. You'll never really know, <laughs> know. for sure. <laughs> I do. I do know that I feel compelled to like Kickstarter games that I've backed more, mm-hmm. whether. It actually influences how much I like them. It's hard to say. But needless to say, our, this sponsorship, we're not, we're not like going to be getting piles of games <laughs> or anything yeah. out of it. We really, we just, we wanted the partnership and we think Gray Fox Games is a pretty cool company. And I don't know, it sounded like a good match for us. Yeah. So, And we'll let you know if we get a free copy, if we're talking about it. Oh, you better believe yeah. if, I, if, I, if, a, if a copy of Champions of Midgard shows up on my doorstep, I'm going to be very excited about it. So. 
But yeah, it's, I think, as with everything, it's, it is situational and Mm -hmm. different forms of content creation and different types of discussions all kind of warrant their own types of disclosure, Mm -hmm. whether you're making a rules video or a preview of a Kickstarter campaign or a full-on review of a game. Those are all different things and they kind of warrant different types of situations. So I, I think people should probably recognize that there are people in the industry who are trying to make a living at creating board game content. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool because if they're able to make a living at it, that means they can make more board game content. And obviously, as I mean, the three of us and probably most of you listening to this consume a decent amount of board game content. So more people creating it is not a bad thing. And if some people can happen to get paid to do that, then that's only going to potentially increase the quality and the output of the num- like the sheer volume of stuff that's coming out. So I think maybe don't immediately discount something because someone else paid a person to do it. Yeah, I mean, as long as they say they were paid and like they're honest with their opinions, I don't think it should affect it. But I guess you don't know if they're honest. I don't know. Well, <laughs> that's, that's what people no, are worried about. <laughs> that's a good point. And I think that's partially why we didn't want to do sponsorship early mm-hmm. in our tenure as a podcast, because you, our listeners, didn't know us yet. And I would hope, I really hope, that <laughs> now you, our listeners know us well enough to know what kind of people we are. Like, obviously... Most of you have never met us in person or talked to us outside of those of you who are our patrons who are in our Slack channel. But I would like to think that we kind of give you an idea of our character based on how we talk to each other and how we talk to you. And uh, we're good people. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, but hopefully our content uh, speaks to that fact. And you all know that our integrity is something that is very important to us and it will be something that we will be maintaining forever. <laughs> so uh, regardless of any sponsorship or free game that may show up on our doorstep in the future. But that's, yeah, like we've been doing this for a year and a half and we haven't been seeing, like we haven't gotten stuff. Like I know other people get reached out to by publishers a lot to like, here's a free copy of a game. Here's the thing. And that hasn't happened to us much And that's fine. We didn't start this podcast to get free games. It's not something that we even really considered early on. So I know people also ask, go around and ask people for free games around at conventions too. And I specifically don't because I don't want to (laughs) review games that much. So yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't done that either. (laughs) I mean, I think it's just, it's, it feels weird to Mm -hmm. me. Like even if it's something that I want and I, I, or even as something I've played before and just don't own, mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I kind of have a little bit of a guilty complex. Like, even if it doesn't mean a lot. Oh, like, uh, here's a great example. At Dice Tower Con, the most wonderful Bruce Vogue 
who um, is one of the hosts of the Party Gamecast and also works for North Star Games, oh, yeah. uh, approached Ambie and I <laughs> and asked if we wanted a copy of Wits and Wagers Vegas, which was um, their new game. And Ambie and I were like, well, here's the deal. There's three of us and we all live in different parts of the country. And so we can't like take a single copy and all play it. And he was like, oh, well, maybe maybe I can get you three copies of the game. And we were like, no, 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 that's too much. Like, we just <laughs> like Bruce is the most wonderful, generous person. And I know that he was just trying to, you know, build up some cool hype before the Kickstarter campaign of Wits and Wagers Vegas, which has now already happened. But it was really nice of him to offer. But we mm-hmm. it's not like we're just going to take everything that's offered to us, even though it's a game like I backed the Kickstarter campaign. I paid to get a copy of that game. I wanted it, but it just didn't feel like <laughs> it felt like too much. <laughs> so we didn't do it. But thank you, Bruce, if you're listening to this for offering, because <laughs> it was very generous of you. For this week's etymology segment, I'm going to examine the history of the word adventure in its noun form. The word adventure originated in the 12th century, and back then it was defined as that which happens by chance, fortune, or luck. It finds its roots in the old French aventure, which meant chance, accident, occurrence, event, or happening. Tracing it back a bit further, we find the Latin word aventura, which simply meant a thing about to happen. The meaning of the word shifted over time. While it later meant risk, danger, or a trial of one's chances, it had previously meant things such as a perilous undertaking, as well as a novel or exciting incident, or remarkable occurrence in one's life. Venture is a 15th century variant of the word. Adventure board games can generally be traced back to the 1970s when Dave Arneson introduced his role-playing game Blackmoor to a group of players. Within that group were Gary Gygax, who partnered with Arneson to create Dungeons & Dragons in 1974, as well as Dave Meggery, who created the board game Dungeon in 1975. If you happen to be in a role-playing game in the future, hopefully your new knowledge about the word adventure can help you get out of a sticky etymological situation. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you're a fan of Champions of Midgard or enjoy awesomely thematic worker placement games, make sure to grab the Valhalla and Dark Mountains expansions that are now available. Gray Fox Games, quality games, cleverly crafted. If you love the show and want a bunch of glitzy benefits, including access to our private Slack channel, you can become a patron for as little as $1. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow, technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, I'm a blitz, I'm a reviewer, I'm a gamer, I'm a podcaster, I'm a winner, I play games, I do not feel ashamed. Bye, everyone. Bye. And a podcast about all things board games that you can... Oh, God, we don't have a thing there. (laughs) (laughs) Takes two, TBD. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. So at least one person has told me that they were disappointed we did not have bloopers in our last episode. Oh, wow, yeah, well, really? The, like, <laughs> there wasn't actually any funny bloopers. Yeah. Oh. I did. I was like, oh, that happens sometimes and just left it. But yeah, somebody said that they were really sad that there were no bloopers. Do we have bloopers? So, sometimes oh, oh, we're just really good. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the very least, Ambi, if there are no other good ones, then you can just put in the clip that I just said. That someone yeah, reached out to me and said that yeah. they were sad that we had no bloopers. Yeah. But yeah, I was sad when I was editing. I was like, there's no good <laughs> <for> bloopers. <laughs> we're too good at this, clearly. That's a lie. <laughs>